So Dan worked in a organization where he could bring his full self to work. Dan was able to uh, was able to be open that he was a Christian because uh, his colleagues also uh, shared his faith. Dan was a follower of God, and that was a big part of his identity and a big part of his work until his organization got acquired by another big multinational organization. And he had to move internationally for his job. And he now went into a workplace every day that was incredibly hostile to his faith. He had a couple of friends with him from the old organization that had also had to move internationally. But it was not the same anymore because now there was pressure to hide who he was. There was pressure not to be honest that he was a follower of God. At his old organization, his relationship with God was an asset. In his new organization, it was something that could get him into a lot of trouble. Now, Dan has got a new privilege in front of him. He's got a whole lot of colleagues who don't know about God. And so maybe this is his opportunity to be on mission in the workplace. But how can he do that in an environment that's so antagonistic to God, that holds up false gods, that holds up faith in God as something weak and laughable? The question I want to wrestle with today is where should we do mission? Can we do mission in the workplace? How would that even work in some of the most difficult workplaces that are antagonistic to faith? Now, maybe some of you are wrestling with this. Maybe some of you have wrestled with this for a long time. How can you share God in a workplace that despises him? Well, the Bible has a lot to say on this, thankfully. In fact, this is a universal experience in some ways, because the Dan that I'm talking about is Daniel from the Bible. He was taken from Israel to go serve in Babylon after Israel was acquired slash invaded by Babylon. Now, Babylon is the best example of a hostile work environment, isn't it? But we see again and again in the book of Daniel that he is able to share his faith. Even in Babylon, even in the worst of the worst, even in this den of iniquity, he was able to share his faith. In chapter 2, <clears throat> before interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he gives glory to God. And King Nebuchadnezzar, in turn, gives glory to God. Something similar happens with a fiery furnace in chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar's <coughs> excuse me, second dream in chapter 4, the writing on the wall for King Belshazzar, and, of course, the incident with the lions in chapter 6. 
throughout the first half of Daniel, in fact, you might even say that the theme of Daniel is that God will have glory even in somewhere as terrible as Babylon. Throughout Daniel, God brings glory to himself and people turn towards God. Do you work in a den of villainy? Maybe you do, but I reckon it's not as dramatic as Babylon. (laughs) If you disagree with me, please tell me afterwards. Now, I started my previous job at Vodafone in 2010, which is part of a big multinational organisation. In fact, it's the largest multinational telco in the world. And look, Vodafone was only partially evil, I have to say, okay? Um, There were a lot of great things about it. Um, But when I started there, I thought, how on earth will I survive in this workplace, let alone share my faith? You may have a similar story in your life as well. But Vodafone and your workplace, they're not as bad as Babylon. So we can look to Daniel for a bit of inspiration. And in this talk, I want to show you that whatever your workplace is, whatever that might mean to you, the people there need God for a start, just like the Babylonians needed God. I'm going to show you that Christ gives us his spirit to show supernatural love in the workplace. And I want to show that doing everything to the glory of God doesn't actually have to be some vague, weird, theoretical, nebulous thing. There's actually some pretty simple things that you can do to be doing everything to the glory of God in your life. Now, I've done some sermons previously here about the details of evangelism, the how-to, the nitty-gritty. And for those of you who missed it, Thankfully, I stole all of that from Sam Chan, who's going to be doing it uh, in greater detail uh, in November. So you can come along to that if you want some more of the how-to. There we go, one more plug. Um, My first point is very simple. Uh, Should you do mission in the workplace? Well, I, I think yes. My point is yes, the workplace is a mission field, and they need Jesus. Now, before I go any further, for some people, you might not be in a workplace. You might be in a school, you might be connected to a community association, you might be in a family that doesn't follow Jesus. Whatever it is, I want you to think about that when I talk about workplace here. Please be thinking of that as your workplace. Let's have a look and we can, oh there we go, great. Um, Have a look at Colossians 3 verses 5 to 6. Put to death therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The people in your workplace need Jesus. They need him in a personal sense, in the sense that we all need Jesus, we need to be saved. But institutions are greater than the sum of their parts, and they take on a life and a culture of their own. And your workplace is fallen. It may not be Babylon-level fallen, but it is fallen. Here's an example. Um, Look at that list again. The list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Is that good? 
in your workplace. I've been in workplaces where all of those were good. <laughs> and not even in necessarily in a really horrific way, but in a subtle, dangerous way. I would argue, in fact, that the majority of workplaces in Australia, these things are seen as good. Now, it's a big claim, and I know that there is a lot of pushback against the excesses and abuses that these things bring, but not to the point where sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed are actually seen as a problem. It's only the excess of them that's seen as a problem. In fact, the, the message might be, um, please engage in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, but remain respectful of others at all times. What a joke. The fallenness of the workplace is a reminder that the world is under the judgment of Christ and your colleagues need Jesus. It's bad for your colleagues, these things. It's bad for your workplace. Dan, our worker in Babylon, looked into the culture of Babylon, the culture that had destroyed Jerusalem, and his priority was bringing the glory of God to bear in his new place of employment. Remember the theme of Daniel. God will be acknowledged Lord of all. He will have glory even somewhere as terrible as Babylon. Uh, let's go to the next slide. So when I started um, studying at, the, sorry, when I started training um, at Vodafone, it was two weeks long training, and I was absolutely shocked slash confused by how many times the trainer positively mentioned drinking to excess as part of the culture of Vodafone. It was a really strange thing to get mentioned so many times. And um, it, it was sort of held up as something to aspire to, something to be you know, one of the boys you know, um, who gets invited out to drinks or one of the people who misbehaves at a work party, it was held out to be something good. But it wasn't something good. And in fact, when a new CEO came in a couple of years later, he had to deal with this terrible toxic culture of alcohol and put in some new rules because of some terrible things that had happened. That told me that this is not somewhere that I can draw my values from. This is somewhere to bring Christ's values into. I want you to think every time that you see an example of the fallenness of your workplace, this is just a reminder that this is somewhere where your colleagues and the workplace, insofar as a workplace takes on a culture of its own and a life of its own, needs Christ, needs God. Like Babylon needed God. This is somewhere where you can think about doing mission because it is fallen and it is broken, and it's bad for your colleagues, and it's bad for the workplace, and they need Christ. Let's go on to the next slide. My second point is, well, maybe that's a great idea, Will, but how? How could you possibly share Jesus in that workplace? How could you do that in an antagonistic atmosphere? Daniel had dream interpretation and signs. I don't have any of that. Well, let's keep it simple. Let's just start by showing a hint of Jesus' love. 
Have a look at verse 11 in chapter 3. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So this is totally revolutionary in this historical context. I think it's still revolutionary today, actually. I'll give you the example. There was a Greek prayer that was well-known. Um, I think it's attributed to Socrates. He said that there were three blessings for which he prayed. Um, he was grateful to fortune. That I was born a human and not an animal, a man and not a woman, a Greek and not a barbarian. That's an interesting list, and not coincidentally, it leaves uh, Socrates on the top tier of humankind. So well done there, Socrates. There was a similar kind of prayer that Jewish men would pray. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has created me human and not animal, male and not female, Jew and not Gentile, circumcised and not uncircumcised, free and not slave. Again, the Jewish man at the top. Equality is not something that uh, has been an important value throughout history. In ancient Rome, there's a famous letter that has been preserved where a Roman husband writes to his wife to instruct that the uh, child that they are expecting, if it is, an, if it is a boy to let it live, but if it is a girl, to put it outside. The early Christians, though, would go out and rescue these children and raise them as their own. Because they were the ones who, because of things like uh, reading in Colossians, that um, there is no Jew or Gentile, they would rescue these kids and look after them and love them people outside their own tribe. They would even care for the bodies of anyone who had died um, and had been a, their body had been abandoned. They would give them a dignified burial as a way to honour the image of God that was in that person. This was such a strange thing in this context that they even got accused of being a burial cult. They would also look after widows they would look after the sick during pandemics instead of getting the heck out of Rome. And they would give money to those who needed it, regardless of whether they were a follower of God. So many people became Christians because of this that a pagan emperor, Julian the Apostate, got angry that he was losing so many people to converting to, to Christianity that he started up a welfare program to stop the flow of, to, to, to cut the, the legs out of the Christians and stop the flow of converts. He slurred Christianity as a religion fit for slaves and women because the Christians lifted up slaves and lifted up women as having value. What a beautiful slur to get. Now, we read uh, Scythians, that's a strange word. Well, when you hear Scythians, I want you to think of like Attila the Hun, okay? Nomadic horse archers who would sweep in to a town and destroy everything, and they would be off with the loot and the slaves before the local garrison had got their boots on. 
Now, you can imagine that someone like that, from that kind of um, heritage, being hanging around in, in ancient Rome, would probably have a bit of stigma. But Jesus is saying that as the extreme example. Whatever the extreme example is, it's a Scythian. Even a Scythian can be, can be part of our community. What a beautiful thing. And in the workplaces that I've been in before working at City Bible Forum, for all the talk of equality in the workplace, racial, gender, ability, which those things are unquestionably good things to have as a goal, I didn't always find that I was working in an environment that that was truly the culture, that that was the official culture, but the reality is very different. And I'll give you an example from my colleague, um, a former colleague, Steve McAlpine. So I'll go to the next slide, please. So Steve McAlpine used to work in the dispatch room of a, um, uh, the, the for the police in Perth. Now, the dispatch is where they get the calls and then they send out the people, and it was a mix of civilians and police. And Steve said that it was a den of iniquity. And the reason was because you either had um, young people coming up who were just sort of... Um, green and didn't have any experience or seniority yet, but the other people you had was all of the cops who were such a problem, they had to be put out of the way where they couldn't cause any more problems. And you can imagine that that might be a bit of a difficult environment to work in. Steve and his friend, who was another Christian, they would sort of create a little bubble of safety together, and they just tried to just low-key, casually live out the, the promises of Christ in that environment. But it was a den of iniquity and there was a lot of degrading talk, people degrading, um, talking about their girlfriends and wives. Until one day, a woman was sick of the gross talk and she said to, to one of the guys who just said an awful comment, why do you talk about your wife like that? And why is it that the only two guys here who actually sound like they love their wives... <laughs> are these two over here. So it got noticed. It got noticed that they were refusing to engage in that culture of degrading talk. Now, that's not the same as doing a gospel presentation, but that kind of thing opens up opportunities. That kind of thing is the first step in your workplace. Now, at church, there is no slave or free, but there certainly is in the workplace. There are people with all the power, and there are people with no power. There's formal and informal systems that decide who is good, who is bad, who is a pariah, who is a role model. But if you refuse to play by those rules, that will get noticed. Look for the people who are disregarded and abused and love them. Look for the Scythians. Who are the people that it is absurd that you could show them some love? Find those people and love the heck out of them. And tell them that the reason that you love them is because Jesus loves them. And that there's this thing called the church where everyone loves each other like that. When your colleagues get chewed up by the culture of the workplace, offer them Jesus. Do you remember the example of Dan? Well, in, in Daniel 2, chapter 24, Daniel pleads with the king's representatives not to execute 
the magicians of Nebuchadnezzar's court. I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a, like, shouldn't he be asked, they're magicians, they should be executed, shouldn't they? <laughs> well, no, he said, uh, he begged the king's representative not to execute them and to give him a chance to interpret the dream so that they would be saved. He, he, while under threat of execution himself, stopped to plead for the lives of his colleagues. And these colleagues, they were literally going to be chewed up by their workplace. They were going to end up in the lion's den if he didn't save them. So let's take a moment now, just quietly think about your workplace, your school, your family, your community group. Who are the pariahs? Who are the Scythians? Who are the magi who are about to get chewed up? Who's invisible? Who's ignored? Who's shunned? Maybe start with them. How could you do mission in the workplace? Well, I haven't fully answered this yet, but I think I've given you a starting point. The first step that opens the door to a more significant conversation that puts you in the position of being the chaplain in the workplace where you might have a chance to also be the missionary, is just show a little bit of Jesus' work to your colleagues. A little bit of Jesus' love to your colleagues. And my final point, thank you. Um, You might be saying now, but Will, you're setting the bar simultaneously too high and too low. It's too low because you haven't actually got me to share the gospel with anyone yet, so it doesn't count. And it's too high because I'm a sinner and I constantly fall short and end up conforming to the image of this fallen culture of the workplace that you're talking about. Well, I think we can address this by my final point, which is do whatever you do, whether in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in the workplace, do it to the glory of God. I think that will unlock a bit of a, um, a, bit of a way forward. This passage is all about how Christ transforms your heart. And I want to slow down and, and look closely at some of these verses now. Um, so, um, here we go. If we look through the, um, the logic of this passage, Paul has a particular logical flow that he unpacks to make his argument. He's making an argument about you being entirely dependent on Jesus for what you do. You're entirely dependent on Jesus. Christ died, he says, and you died with him. Christ rose, and you rose with him. Christ will be glorified, and you will appear with him in his glory. Jesus put sin to death on the cross. Sin is dead to you. Everything about you is dependent on Jesus. So it's not from your own strength. He then goes into the kind of behavior that is evidence of a heart transformed by Christ. He says, no more sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Instead, radical equality. 
compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. That can feel overwhelming. What if I see more from the first list in myself than the second list sometimes? Does that mean that I can't show the love of Jesus in my workplace? Does that mean I'm part of the problem? Well, Paul is preaching this to people who he knows are Christians but have imperfect behaviour. In fact, he writes in all of his letters, I think, about some pretty terrible behaviours that he's aware of. But he still assumes that he's writing to Christian brothers and sisters and that they should be living an example to those around them. He urges them to take seriously the challenge to do everything to the glory of God. So how can we do that? How can we actually do that? Is it just an act of will? I'm just going to try harder? I think, you know, that's not going to... That doesn't work for me. It might work for you. What might it look like to actually take that challenge really, really seriously? Well, there's a little clue in the verse. Give thanks, it says. Give thanks. In verse 17. Well, let's... Let's think a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to give thanks? Well, that's, that's talking to God. That's giving thanks to God for, for everything that we do. Giving thanks to your work. Giving thanks to God for your work. And how does this work in Dan's life? Well, in chapter 6, we read that Dan prayed three times a day. And he asked for help, it says, when he prayed to God. This is the spiritual discipline that gave Dan the strength to maintain his godly behavior in the face of an ungodly culture, that gave him the strength to look to God instead of look to the culture around him, and the strength to fearlessly show the love of God to his colleagues and work as if to the Lord. I'm convinced that the spiritual discipline of prayer is the best way that you can work as if to the Lord. If you dedicate your work to the Lord, if you commission yourself every day as a chaplain in the workplace to do everything in God's name. Now, I know um, uh, it's prayer discipline is a really, really hard thing to do. Um, it's, it, it can be a really, really hard habit to build and so I recommend doing it with friends. So you might have noticed I'm an extreme extrovert. I recently did a personality test and I got 100 out of 100 for extroversion and precisely zero people were surprised. <laughs> so I love to pray with other people. Now that might work for you even if you're not an extrovert. But let me encourage you, find a group of people Maybe you can join an evangelistic prayer team with City Bible Forum, which I've talked about a number of times, and pray for your workplace. But whatever you do, don't leave it to chance that you will mature as a Christian in your career as a Christian in the workplace. Don't just let that happen and get to the end of your career and think, oh, I probably should have, probably should have prayed about my workplace once or twice. Oh, well. I'm retired now, I'll, I'll do some praying now. How sad would that be? So that's your application. Pray. Find people to help you pray if you struggle with the discipline of prayer by yourself. 
Now, you might think that it's a stretch. Some of you might be looking at the, the, um, the passage and think it's a bit of a stretch applying a passage which is clearly about church unity to the workplace. But that is exactly what Paul does a few verses later. He takes this high principle and then applies it to the spheres of relationship that are most familiar, marriages, raising children, and work. So this relationship here, this unity here that you have as a church, and the way that you live out those values and those behaviours flows out from this building into your workplace. You build each other up in maturity and faith, and that flows out so that you can reach your colleagues in a way that you could not do without your brothers and sisters in Christ. The love of Christ is so powerful that it can't be contained in this building. It flows out to the abandoned children, the widows, the lost, the unburied, the barbarians, the Scythians, the bullied, the sidelined, the pariahs, the redundant, the broken, and the chewed up. So don't despair at the brokenness of your workplace. Demonstrate the love of Christ, drawing on your church for strength, drawing on the love of Jesus that he showed you. Pick up the brokenhearted because you are risen with Christ, Paul says. And don't leave it to chance that you'll grow in maturity. Start meeting with other Christians, praying regularly for your colleagues, for your workplace, for your own walk as a Christian in the workplace. Now, the final, final little point that I'd like to make, we'll go on to the very last slide there, thanks, is a little bit of cheeky speculation. So don't go and build a big theology on this, okay, or I'll get in trouble. Um, I think this is reasonably clear in, in the Bible, um, but there's, there's debate about it, so there's caveats there. Um, Daniel was really successful in bringing glory to God in Babylon. Many people put faith in God as a result of the work of God through Daniel. And he came to Babylon probably as a teenager, as a, as a magi first, and then died at the top of the um, bureaucracy as the, 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 the governor of governors in Persia in his 90s probably. But the Jews didn't get to go home while he was alive. They weren't released from exile until after he died. So what was his real impact? What impact could he have had if the Jews were still in exile when he died? Well, 500 years later, there was a sign in the heavens that the king of the world was coming. The Persians in the east sent magi to investigate to bring gifts of tribute and to worship this king of the world that they saw the sign in the heavens for. The birth of Jesus was first uh, was, was foreseen in Persia and they sent people to worship Jesus. What a wonderful thing that 500 years later there were still followers of God in Persia. That was the impact of Daniel's work all these centuries later. Imagine what God might do through you. You might think, 
the Jews didn't get back to Jerusalem under my watch, I failed. You might be retired now and thinking I achieved nothing. But what if God has a plan to do great things through your workplace? And what if you pray to him and ask him for strength and show the love of Jesus to your colleagues, to your workplace, and trust in him that he has a plan? I'll pray. God, thank you for this good news that we have, that you are able to change hearts, that you are able to change uh, rotten habits and behaviours, that you are able to change uh, everyone, all of us. Help us to take that good news with us wherever we go, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our families, into our community groups, to our bike riding groups, into our spin classes, into our CrossFit. Lord, help us to be on mission wherever we are because the people need us to share that good news with them because they need you and because we can do it through your strength and not through our own strength. Amen.